Authors Hour. You'll get to hear the authors talking about their books and the journey behind how it all began. Join the opportunity to hear the insights on what inspired them to write it. Now, here is your host, Wayne G. Barber. Good morning, America. Not too bad of a morning for the fall of the Blackstone Valley. And it's Tuesday at 9.05. That means we have another edition of the award-winning Authors Hour radio program. Also available on podcast later in the day on anchor.fm slash Wayne dash Barber, along with my other shows. Uh, the traction on that is really picking up. And uh, a lot of people like to listen to all of the show in its entirety at their convenience. And we're glad to do that with our fantastic IT department. We have a book today, The Animals Adventures Guide, by Susie Spiko, S-P-I-K-O-L. We're going to be getting into that in a minute. Don't touch that tile. Uh, today is uh, Transportation and Limousine Services, provided by C.J. Trans of Fairbanks in our beautiful receding hairstyle by the Worcester Hair Company. And uh, happy birthday, 50, yesterday, and one year in business. Congratulations. And Little General Stores, Jeff and uh, Chef Gary McLaughlin will be back after a one-week hiatus. They'll be back Wednesday morning, and they're going to give you a nice recipe on boneless pork roast at $3.89 a pound. Harvest Moon Health Foods, Route 21, Unit 4, Colonial Plaza in Putnam, Connecticut. 860-928-2352. Healthy foods for a healthy lifestyle, gluten-free products, over 100 dried herbs, nuts, and seeds. Healthy snacks help your body to reinforce its immune response. Hemopathic and herbal allergy relief. We stock quality brand manufacturers, including Against the Grain, Rudy's, Nature's Plus, Batlean's Organic Oils, Food for Life, and so much more. Natural honey and organic coconut sugar, raw milk. Elderberry for flu remedies. Consumer-friendly hours are Monday through Wednesday, 10 to 6 p.m., Thursday to Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Sundays, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Harvest Moon Health Foods, .net, Unit 4, Colonial Plaza, Putnam, Connecticut. 860-928-2352. Proud sponsor of Brian Tag and the number 9 in the late model at Thompson Speedway. And you can see Brian in that black number nine at the final at the World Series of Racing at Thompson Speedway. Uh, coming up very, very shortly. The late models will be going off on Friday night of the three-day event. And then he'll decide whether to run in the ACT Tour later in the weekend. AuthorsHourBookstore.com New and slightly read books. If you heard our author interview on our Authors Hour every Tuesday at 9 a.m., we will stock it. Call Wayne, WNRI at Yahoo.com for any locator service or a closed-out book. Again, it's the new AuthorsHourBookstore.com. Mention today's show for another 10% off, and we have over 4,000 titles now in our library. Uh, give me an email at waynewnri.yahoo.com, and we'll see if we can get that book dropped off right to your door. 
I can smell that coffee brewing right now. It's coming drifting right through the Blackstone Valley from Book Lovers Gourmet. Hogan Brothers Coffee, which is also available by the pound. The store is open by Debbie uh, Horan, owned since 1995 at 72 East Main Street. The official hours are 10 and above, but she's in there now getting the pastry from Phyllis Bakery, uh, the coffee brewing, and getting new arrivals on the shelf and all pre-priced out. 508-949-6232. And Debbie is also very receptive to local authors and local poets, especially for readings and book signings, musical events, art displays, pro-pro business at Book Lovers Gourmet. Since 1995, at 72 East Main Street, 508-949-6232. Folks, if you or someone you know is celebrating a birthday and you want Wayne to announce it on his program, just send him an email. His address is waynewnri at yahoo.com. Help make that special someone feel like celebrating with a birthday shout-out on WNRI. Thank you, Johnny Ray. Happy birthday today. Autumn Jade, 41. Edgar Wydell, uh, the third, 36 today. And on tomorrow, 10-5, local author from the Association of Rhode Island Authors, proud to be a member, Peter O'Donnell. Just coming back from the Big E, selling books with Debbie Tillinghast. They did it as a toot-bag uh, team up there and really sold a lot of books. Peter turns 45 tomorrow. Wish him a big happy birthday. Real, real nice guy. Okay, on the line right now, and not too much notice. I was very lucky to sneak her in. We have Susie Spikel, S-P-I-K-O-L. And it's one that is right in my lane. It's not historical fiction, but as you know, being a host and the owner of the outdoor scene and being a naturalist all my life, this one really hit her nerve. She's a naturalist at the Harris Center for Conservation Education in beautiful Hancock, New Hampshire. Think of Monadnack Mountain, think of Hancock. If you ask Michael her favorite animal, she will not be able to choose she has spent her entire life loving animals, especially the ones that have had bad reputations, like the petite but venomous short-tailed shrew and the famous stinky striped skunk. And Roger just frowned. Look at that. He does not like skunks. And her three-decade-long career, uh, Spike helps people of all ages fall in love with and connect with the natural a natural world and uh this one is an eye popper i've got eight grandkids uh four great grandkids and i'm going to make sure i order some extra copies for these because i think this is going to be one to put right on the coffee table the name of the book that we're going to be discussing right now is the animals adventurous guide how to prowl for an owl make snail slime and catch a frog barehanded. 50 activities to get wild with animals. Good morning, Susie. How are you? Great. Good morning, Wayne. So nice to talk with you, and I'm so excited that you are excited about my book. Thank you so much. I've got your beautiful picture with that beautiful extra hair. And next time you get a haircut, I'd like to have some of that. And uh, your beautiful <laughs> smile matches your voice. Absolutely. You look like a perky young gal. 
Thank you so much. I try to be perky. It's easy to be when you spend a lot of time outside. There's just a lot to look at. Now, a publicist that I got a hold of, uh, Heather, and then we got a hold of uh, Ron Long, L-O-N-G-E. Uh, they both said you're very, very perky, and uh, you have a nickname out there, Princess of Poop. Oh, yes, I have. That is my nickname in my little town. The kids like to call me that. Um, and it all started because I do have quite a good scat collection, as a naturalist might. Um, it's made up of all the different animals that live around the Monadnock region, and I've been collecting it for a long time. It's all in jars. It's all very safe to look at, but it's a great tool for teaching people about the animals and being able to identify an animal without seeing it or finding its tracks. This is just another, another piece of evidence. And the cool thing is you can really figure out what an animal eats when you can spend some time looking at its scat. We like to say if you want to know what an animal eats, take a good hard look at what it excretes. Yeah, exactly right. I've, I've done a, a lot of research on the, the eastern coyote, the different species that we have here now. And uh, by monitoring the scat, I can pretty identify what's going on with them and what's going on with the fishes and uh, doing such a number on my pet project, my uh, natural wild turkey, uh, being a former president of the National Wild Turkey Federation. And I'm seeing their numbers go down because the other predators are climbing. And identifying in the scat is one of the easiest way to identify what's going on. I will throw you for a loop on it, though. I have pictures documented. Of this new strain of coyote that's here, the eastern coyote, which has a much bigger skull, the is a different species. These animals can actually climb a fruit tree and pick it clean with the, using all four I, legs. I, yeah. uh, it's amazing. I have seen, um, I've seen that. You've seen it too in pictures? I, well, I um, I used to live on an orchard, and we had this beautiful plum tree, and I was waiting forever for the plums to be ripe. It was the, you know, beautiful, big, purple plums. Oh, and the one. night before I was going to go out and pick it, um, something ate it all. And when I went out and saw the plums were gone, I decided I need to figure out who ate the plums. And around the orchard was a lot of scat left with the plum evidence, and it was coyote scat. And I didn't see them climb the tree, but they are quite tall. I think they just stretched up and kind of were able to pull the branches down. They're like Spider-Man. All four, they have adapted. That animal is so adaptable. I, I keep learning new things about the Eastern Coyote every single week. Now, uh, we've got, well, I live completely in the country. I mean, one side of me, there's 300 acres, another acre. You know, I got three um, parks and uh, wildlife preservation areas around me. So I have every species come through my uh, property in the northeast quiet corner where I'm located. And I have plenty of water supplies. I've got power lines for them to run the trails. And now what I've experienced the last two years with the eastern coyote is they're packing up now like a wolf pack does in Yellowstone. And we have a resident group that comes at least once a month between 1.15 and 1.30 in the morning. They're going around their territory, and there's over 20 in that pack. 
Wow, that's pretty exciting. Well, yeah, I've been doing a little bit of reading about the eastern coyote, too, because we have a lot in New Hampshire, and there's a lot of evidence that the eastern coyote is really kind of its very own species. It interbred with wolves as the coyote migrated north. There were no coyotes in New England prior to, like, 1940. That was after the wolf population had been depleted and... What I read is they followed the highways when the highways were being built. They kind of followed the highways up, easy route to go, and that's how they ended up in New England. And they, on their journey, they interbred with some wolves. So their DNA shows a little bit of that, and that explains some of their more wolf-like behavior. But I'll tell you, they are opportunists. They really adapt to whatever the food source is. And uh, I did some work with the group down uh, South County, and they, they figured out how the uh, coyote, coyotes got on the two islands, on uh, Newport and Jamestown, you know, being islands. And uh, every maybe 15 or 20 years, there is a period, if we have one cold, cold week in February, usually the second week of February, that the bay will actually freeze. You know, the low water areas at low tide. And it was just enough for those coyotes to get across on ice looking for new territory. And with no other predators besides traffic count, there's no hunting and trapping on those two islands. They had a free reign, especially with the restaurants. They were doing a number in the city, you know, the uh, more popular areas, just feeding out of the restaurants. It's an amazing story. I love that. That's one of the things I just love about animals. They're so adaptable, many of them, and their flexibility um, to kind of uh, make their way in the world can be really interesting and also inspiring. You know, they have a will to live, just like we do. Okay, getting educated. 14 years old, 15 years old, you knew you liked nature, you knew you liked animals. How did you get so lucky to get on the uh, staff at the Harris Center for Conservation. How did that come about? Was it a perk, a relative, a click? Uh, how did you get onto that prestigious organization? Well, thank you. I do. I've been at the Harris Center a long time, and I've been so lucky. The Harris Center is a great place to work. And I was, I just worked really hard. I worked for other nature organizations um, throughout my early my late teens and early 20s, I worked. I interned at the Central Park Conservancy in New York City. I worked for Massachusetts Audubon Society at several of their different, um, different Audubon sanctuaries. And then I was in graduate school studying environmental studies at Antioch New England Grad School in Keene. And um, I had an internship at the Harris Center. I was so lucky. And it, and, uh, it was just a great fit. And after my internship ended, I uh, stayed on, and I've been here ever since, and I, I do feel so lucky. It's been a wonderful job and a great kind of match to my own personal beliefs that, you know, we are here, we can all fall in love with the natural world, and that it's important for us to pay attention to the natural world. It's, it's what we have to give our children and our children's children. Now, with our listening audience of 14 different outlets and also available on podcasts later today on anchor.fm slash Wayne dash Barber, 
Uh, we have a huge worldwide audience. And uh, I got to let them know here that the uh, Harris Center is a 501c3 nonprofit, which I was very shocked to see that. And it's based on donations, uh, philanthropy, uh, donations uh, from rich families. Is that a big part of the endowment, like a Brown University? Yeah, it's a little bit. I mean, we have some family foundations that have been very supportive over the past 53 years that we've been in existence, and that's been wonderful. But a lot, a lot of our support comes from just everyday people in the Monadnock region and beyond who find our work really valuable. And we kind of work in three areas. We um, do land protection where we help protect vital pieces of land for wildlife and for people. All of our properties are open to the public and anybody can go walk around on them. Um, so that's one area. Another area we work in is education where we work with um I like to say babies in backpacks all the way through people in um, hospice and memory care. So kind of a lifespan approach to educating people and finding ways to connect them to the natural world. And the last area that we, we do a lot of work in is conservation research, where we do programs that community members can participate in and help contribute to scientific data. So you also, um, we get a lot of support from just local people. You also average over 3,000 students annually take a visit every year. How is that by uh, like third graders, fourth graders, uh, as far as a field yeah. trip on that idea? Well, actually, um, it is a little bit different than that. We believe that um, nature happens wherever the school is. So people aren't actually always coming out to the Harris Center. Students aren't always coming here. Our goal is to share that nature happens right in their own community. So we go to their schools and work in their schoolyards and their communities. And um, we work in pre-K, so before kindergarten, all the way up through um, 12th grade. And then we also work with um, higher education students from local colleges and universities. I got an email here from Bonnie from New Orleans. He says, we got some bad times down here. And he says, we're looking for places to spend some quality time in New England. How large is this uh, uh, subject matter today, the Harris Center? Now, I'm looking at your website, and it says they have parked uh, 24,000 acres, but you have an adjoining 36,000 abutting acres at your disposal for a total of yes. 60,000 acres in New Hampshire. Yes, that is true. Um, and the Harris Center isn't, isn't the sole um, keeper of those lands. We work with um, lots of other organizations, so we do a lot of partnering with other land trusts like New Hampshire Audubon and the Nature Conservancy, places like that, and towns, and then local individuals who put their land into easement, meaning that it's protected, but it's open to the public, too. Um, and um, a lot of the land has hiking trails on it, so if New Orleans visitor wants to come to New England, to come to the Monadnock region, there's great hiking and nature exploration here. It's really quite beautiful. We call it the Highlands. It's got rolling hills, um, lots of great vistas, and Mount Monadnock, which is um, the mountain that kind of defines us, is, is um, 
a beautiful and wonderful hike. I think it's the most climbed mountain in the world. Okay, also on that, I have a, a few relatives that live up in Maine, and they have an agreement up there with the paper mills and stuff to lease uh, certain parts of land, you know, to do control harvest, you know, selective harvesting, I call it. Are you part of that program with uh, 60,000 acres? Do you participate in that, or do you keep it in its virgin state? No, we, we do um, we do sustainable logging, and um, that's a big part of what we do, just sort of best practices when it comes to logging and trying to um, make the least impact on the land, but knowing that we need, you know, wood as humans to kind of do our thing. So there's logging, and there's hunting on our property as well. You just get a hunting permit from us. We... Um, we permit hunting of certain species, and then there's certain animals we don't permit hunting for. So, so you have, you have really selected hunting also by permit. Yep, yep, yep. We you can deer hunt. You can you can come up and turkey hunt. I don't know if you want to hear that, Wayne. Yeah, yeah. We have two seasons in almost every New England state. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's important. It helps keep the balance, and it's also you know everybody kind of um, connect to the natural world in different ways and so we're open to that you can fish on our properties this is all of course if you have the proper licensing okay so new hampshire licenses apply and all permits uh do you have any partnership with fish and wildlife from new hampshire yeah we work we work really well with new hampshire's fish and game department um they are often helping us with our education they're great partners that way um, when we have land that um, we're all trying to protect, they'll work with us on that part as well. If the land, they have a great, um, they did a great job kind of looking at the different parts of New Hampshire and doing assessments of habitat and then saying these are important habitats. So we use their research a lot. They've conducted research on our properties. There was a big bobcat project they did where they were trying to figure out the population of bobcats in the Monadnock region, and they used our lands as a way to conduct their research. So, yeah, we, we partner with them really well, and they're wonderful, and I'm a big fan of their non-game department. I did some work three years ago with New Hampshire uh, with the Trapping Association Association up there, and we were all set. We finally got it fully legal uh, to trap legally the entire state a mere total of 50 bobcats to reinstitute that because of the population was exploding on it and a lot of people figured it was uh, detrimental to the turkey and uh, the uh, fawns in the white-tailed deer population and the the week of the opening of the trap season uh, the government the governor and that suspended the whole thing so there was no trapping season for the bobcat and I got all the information from the trapping associations up there. And immediately after that, in the next six months, they had over 1,500 nuisance uh, correspondence from the overpopulation of bobcats. So in that short period of time, uh, a female a bobcat will have three or four kits. That population can explode so much. And all it was was 50 bobcats for the whole state of New Hampshire. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do remember that. I remember that controversy, and I remember, uh, yeah, there was a lot of discussion about it, and I think people have a real mixed feeling about it still. So, um, you know, for me, having lived in New Hampshire for the past 30 years, I've spent a long time never seeing a bobcat, um, and it's only been recently that we're finding their tracks, and they really are making a comeback, and... You know, I think we, we have some work to do on um, how to coexist with them. I got a question on your book, The Animals Adventure Guide, on the illustrator. Okay, Becky Hall, guest of credit. Now, I got to pick your brain. How did you get an illustrator based in Lake District, England, to do your work? <laughs> From the United Kingdom back to here, did you do all this through email? Did you actually sit down and talk with the person and convey what you wanted to accomplish in the book? How did that transpire, Con- you know, continent to continent? How did this come out? Such a great question, Wayne. Um, Becca Hall is the illustrator, and the illustrations are really, really charming. And I wish I could say that I knew Becca, but I don't know her. We never even talked. When you write a children's book um, you and it gets picked up by a publisher, you don't have any say who illustrates the book or oh. um, what it's actually going to look like. The publishing company does. I was so fortunate because the publishing company I worked for was absolutely wonderful. It was Ruth Book, which is an imprint of Shambhala Book. Um, and they were wonderful. They um, said, hey, do you like this illustrator? And they sent me her work, and I immediately loved it. I think her pictures are just, they're so sweet, and I could see them illustrating my book. And, and they, they asked her, and she took the job. And, and then a whole bunch of people work on a children's book. You know, I wrote the book. But there's a team of people that design it and do the layout, and they're the illustrator, like Becca Hall. And in the end, it feels like a, a lot of a, a wonderful of a collaboration, as opposed to just being my book. It's really a collaborative effort. How many publishers did you make the pitch to? Well, I had an agent, and I think she pitched the book to about ten publishers, and um, two of them responded, and. Um, I liked Ruth's book better than the other one, so the agent um, pursued that with Ruth, and that's how that happened. So I was just really lucky. It's very, very hard, as I'm sure you know from other authors during Author's Hour. It's very hard to get a book published, and I just was so lucky, and I'm so grateful, and I feel um, absolutely thrilled by it. It was a dream come true for me. See, I'm used to it the old-fashioned way. We have, uh, just in uh, association with Alan Authors, about 370 members, and we probably have 30 to 35 illustrators in our group. Uh, we have copy editors in our group. We have lawyers in our group. Uh, you know, the whole package for self-publishing. And uh, a lot of our stuff gets out that way, but then we run into the same problem as every other author, and that's marketing, where... When you hook up with a publisher, the way you went, a lot of that is taken care of for you, especially getting these books. Uh, This particular one had better get into the school system because it's that good. (laughs) And uh, that would be a hard thing to accomplish, you know, as an independent author on its own. 
So I can see the merits that way. But uh, yeah. a lot of times my authors in a group, I say my authors, I've been on the board for a while, they will uh, sit down with two or three different illustrators and, you know, convey what they want and then let the illustrator come back with them what they think the interpretation should be. And then they get a happy medium. It's like uh, editing. Same thing with editing. Uh, you're better off getting right. an editor that you don't know. But that way there's no bias. Never have a family member right. do your editing because they're going to glorify everything you do. <laughs> That's so true. And you, I can tell you've had a lot of experience with this. But, yes, everything you say I, I can totally agree with. It is hard. You know, you write a book. You spend a lot of time. And it's a Oftentimes, it comes right from a person's heart. You know, we're, you're motivated to write something because it's, it's in you and you want to get it out into the world. And then your book gets out, but then how do you get it into people's hands? So, you know, it's so great to have a program like yours where we can talk about my book or other authors. It's such a great platform, and I'm, I'm so grateful to you, Wayne. Thank you so much. Are you the first author in your family? Uh, and no, I have a cousin who's an author too. Um, she lives in Vermont, not far away, and her name's Deborah Luskin, and she writes fiction. And um, she's actually working—I think she's working on a nonfiction book right now too. So she's been a real inspiration to me. Uh, she's a little bit older than me, and just kind of following her journey and um, her love of writing. I thought it really inspired me. I know you're perky. I'm looking at your picture, and I'm visualizing everything, mm -hmm. and I still don't have that new phone where I can see the other person. But by the tone of your voice and uh, being so consistent, I've got to ask you something, and I'm going to catch you off guard a little bit. Can you explain that first day the UPS or the FedEx or the Postal Service backed up to your residence with your first shipment of books can you describe the feelings that went through your mind when you opened that first case wow well, i love that question um and it may, it's making me smile because um when that box came i i was shaking i was so excited i could feel it like come up all the way through my into my whole body I was just so thrilled and um, and then as I started to open it, I got worried. I thought, what if I don't like it? What if I? What if it's not what I think it's going to be? And I had seen a digital copy of it, but to actually, you know, have the chance to open it and hold it in your hand felt really different to me. So I did take a deep breath, and and when I picked picked it up and looked at the book, I actually cried. It really moved me to have always wished to be a writer ever since I was a young child. And, you know, to, to go on through your life and, you know, you get busy with other things. I have a family of my own and, you know, I have a job. And and the fact that I made the time and, and worked on a dream and made it happen um, was almost too much for me. So when I held the book, I did cry. I felt really moved by it. And um, so uh, just taken up by the moment of holding the book that had been in my heart. Can we expect some more animal books from you, or are you going to change genres, uh, maybe write no. a memoir, or anything? No, I I'm going to stick with animals. I really love it. I love nature. I'm working on a second book for um, 
It's called uh, Animals on the Mind, 20 Women Who Work with Wildlife and Make a Difference. So can you. And it's profiles of women in the field of wildlife. And it could be science or art or communication or film. Um, And then, um, you know, it profiles them. It talks about the animals that they're really interested in. And then it gives the reader some activities that they can do if they think they might want to be like that person. So I'm really excited about this project. And I don't have a publisher yet, so I'm hoping somebody will find it as exciting as I do. Well, I think your resume is on its way, and you're in the right place on your job with that tremendous uh, support all around you. It, I, I can't wait to see what the next book is going to be, because this one here, I just truly, truly endorse. Uh, we have a lot of guardians and grandparents who are always asking me with email, is it appropriate for me to buy this for you know someone for birthdays or Christmas? And I truly truly endorse this and all school systems that are listening right now i would i think you should definitely add this to your school libraries everywhere it's just a win-win oh, book do you yeah, have it's a, really not it's, do you have a, a website going or a facebook where people can contact you for book signings i do i have a website and it's just uh suzy fickle all one word dot com and that's s-u-s-i-e S D as in Peter I K as in King O L dot com and that's my website and I also am on Instagram and people can message me through Instagram at Susie Spickle. So I would love that and um, I've been doing a lot of school visits. Um, I just went back to where I grew up. I went to my old elementary school and talked about my book, which was really quite wonderful. And I'm doing a lot of library programs and school programs and festivals and conferences and the book isn't so much for reading it's really a book for doing it's filled with activities for um, kids of all ages it's for five to nine year olds but I think it's really for everybody like Wayne I think you should do some of the things in the book I think you would like it you know what I'm thinking right now the way my mind (laughs) works of being a polymath I'm thinking of the influx of the millions of immigrants coming into the United States And for the first time in their life, they see a wild turkey or they hear a fisher cat and think somebody, somebody's child is being strangled. If they had this book, they could actually teach everybody in their family what is transpiring. It's it's all in your book. It's step by step, you know, for tracks in the snow, tracks in the mud. There's there's so many things that uh, immigrant people. And we are getting an influx of them. And they're not educated in the natural system of North America. What a beautiful Bible this would be for them. Thank you. I come from an immigrant family. And so for me, I I like thinking that my book might make a difference for people from all over the world um, who might be living here or living in their own place. Um, And I I worked on making the book... um, for people to use in urban, rural, and suburban areas. So I noticed not, that. you don't have to live in a wild place I noticed to have that. these experiences. You did a, a well-thought-out job laying this book down. Uh, how long did this book take from start to finish? <laughs> 
Well, I mean, my whole life, I think, my whole professional career, I've been kind of writing it because I do it. This is my job. I take people outside. I, I go tracking with them. I go bird watching with them. We go looking for um, woolly bear caterpillars, people of all ages. But mostly I've worked with um, children in the elementary grades, and I kind of just took my favorite activities with animals, the ones that I think have worked the best over the years, and um, included them and did a little bit of, um, a little bit more, gave a little bit more information okay. about the animals that we might be looking for. Um, and so I think I've been working on it my whole life, but from writing it to getting published, it probably took about three years. And I might be one of the only people who was grateful for the quiet of the pandemic because I had written the book. It was, um, I was in editing during the pandemic and that's a lot of hard, very detailed work. And it was good to have that quiet space. So I don't think I'll need another pandemic to write another book though. On my scale of one to 10 on the author's hour, the name of the book is The Animals Adventure Guide. And I think it should be in everyone's home. Uh, Susie, great job on the book. And thank you very much for taking the time to come on to the award-winning Authors Hour radio program. Absolutely. My pleasure, Wayne. Thank you so much. And let's keep being naturalists out there. Okay. Take care now. Bye-bye. That's the first part of the show. And that's going to be brought to you by uh, Northeast Race Cars and Speed, a home of the He Shed. Not the She Shed, the He Shed. And they're also the same home as Hopkins Brothers Auto Repair for the best brake job in North Rhode Island. Race car parts and supplier, custom fabrication, Simpson, MSD, Willwood, and so much more. And also, Herbie sets up the Hopkins Brothers Auto Repair right there at Six Hill Road in Harrisville. Uh, dial 1-800-766-4748 and Scotty will ship out those speed parts and get you in Victory Lane. He ships Monday through Friday by 11 o'clock every day and the service is open monday through friday and then the 53 foot trailers are at your local racetrack throughout new england northeast race cars and speed they'll build you a car or a truck right on the premises and also today is tuesday so we have the tuesday special over at cereals pizza rima and restaurant that's the large cheese pizza, 15 slices, a rectangle shape for a mere $7 every Tuesday. Sad, uh, Sunday, dinner for two, $23.99. And also, if you're going to watch the last series of the Red Sox, or maybe, maybe a podcast, listen to my podcast on the radio, and you don't want to leave your a lounge chair, give them a call. They haven't lost an order yet. 401-568-7187 and you'll get that order right to your door. Now catering is a big part too. Graduation parties, retirement parties just because. Give Jimmy a call or Teresa and they'll sit down and customize a special menu just for your event. Maybe it's just a chafing dish of chicken breast. Nice barbecue sauce with the sterno underneath or a big pot of ziti with John Orlando's Italian sauce on it, or a big pot of tossed salad. They'll customize a menu for you. Just give them a call or stop by Sirio's Pizza Rema and Restaurant over at 405 Church Street, the Bridgeton Triangle in Pasco, Rhode Island. Okay, by the mention of today's show, we have a special going on for cars and trucks. Undercoating special 
by the mention of the author's hour and Wayne here at WNRI for four ninety nine. Where can I get this service performed? At Ted's Auto and Rust Repair. We fix rust. They offer sandblasting services now. That's been dropped by a lot of places. They've got a pro that does it there. Complete rust repair. Cracked or damaged frame repair. Getting ready for plow season? Did you check out that frame from last year? Make sure there's no cracks anywhere? Get it repaired now. Always a free estimate by calling Teddy Bebo at 401-230-8877 or stop by and see the folks at 1943 Putnam Pike in Chapatrick, Rhode Island. I got one more, then we're going to play a little jingle for you. And that is... All the events that I go to, it's the same commonality. There's always someone it gets so hyper, they forget their keys and their key fob in the car. Or maybe the dome light's on, your seatbelt got caught in the door. You need a surface charge. You need a jump charge just to get you going. Or black ice, you slide off the road for the first time. It was 32 degrees in Milo, Maine this morning, so they had some black ice up there. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, an ex-wife to be reminded two months alimony? Nope, I gave you enough time. Larry's 24-Hour Towing, 401-568-6286. It's a multitasking company in Pasco because it's also the home of Boroughville Motor Sales with used auto and truck sales and new arrivals every day, Brian's Auto Repair, and Rhode Island Vehicle State Inspections. Call one phone number, 401-568-6286. Peter and Jerry head up the department with the auto and trucks. Whether it's a 4x4 or a soccer mom van, they got you covered. 401-568-6286. That covers all of that. We're looking at 946. And I got a lot of people asking me about a special uh, poetry that we played last week. And I'm looking for it in the computer. I know it's still there. And here it is right here, and it's four minutes and 30, uh, three oh seconds along. Okay, here's I'm gonna, the segue, I'm going to set this up. As we all know, in this world of publications and literary field, poetry is making a huge rebound. Short stories are making a huge rebound. Authors, take notice. Maybe your novel, maybe your history is a little slow right now. Switch it up a little bit. Do some poetry. Do some short stories. Uh, Brandon Leak won America's Got Talent with poetry. Never mind made the cut. He won it. A million dollars plus a Las Vegas show. Amanda Gorman. I got exposed to the talented young lady, 21 years old, who I think and she thinks will be president someday when she's old enough. She's that smart. Well, I saw her for the first time at the inauguration. She brought a tear to my eye. She was so powerful. And then about 10, maybe 14 days ago, she addressed the United Nations, Amanda Gorman, and did an ode we owe. Okay. They sent me a clip of it. And they tell me to introduce it 
as the only time they'd done poetry reading at the United Nations. And now all the different countries put the earbuds in with the translators. More than half in attendance were in tears by the end of it. Please enjoy. An Ode We Owe by Amanda Gorman. How can I ask you to do good when we've barely withstood our greatest threats yet? The depths of death, despair, and disparity, atrocities across cities, towns, and countries, lives lost, climactic costs, exhausted, angered, we are endangered, not because of our numbers, but because of our numbness. We're strangers to one another's perils and pain, unaware that the welfare of the public and the planet share a name. Equality doesn't mean being the exact same, but enacting a vast aim, the good of the world to its highest capability. The wise believe that our people without power leaves our planet without possibility. Therefore, though poverty is a poor existence, complicity is a poorer excuse. We must go the distance, though this battle is hard and huge, though this fight we did not choose for preserving the earth isn't a battle too big to win, but a blessing too large to lose. This is the most pressing truth that our people have only one planet to call home and our planet has only one people to call its own. We can either divide and be conquered by the few, or we can decide to conquer the future and say that today a new dawn we wrote, say that as long as we have humanity, we will forever have hope Together, we won't just be the generation that tries, but the generation that triumphs. Let us see a legacy where tomorrow is not driven by the human condition, but by our human conviction. And while hope alone can't save us now, with it, we can brave the now because our hardest change hinges on our darkest challenges. Thus, may our crisis be our cry, our crossroad, the oldest ode we owe each other. We chime it for the climate, for our communities. We shall respect and protect every part of this planet, hand it to every heart on this earth until no one's worth is rendered by the race gender, class, or identity they were born. This morn, let it be sworn that we are one human kin, grounded not just by the griefs we bear, but by the good we begin. To anyone out there, I only ask 
that you care before it's too late, that you live aware and awake, that you lead with love in hours of hate. I challenge you to heed this call. I dare you to shape our fate. Above all, I dare you to do good so that the world might be great. I hope you enjoyed that. That was brought to you by The Village Bond. They are closed today, but they have hours on the weekend, and they are there Friday through Sunday from 12 to 5 p.m. The Village Bond is a country store and antiques. Uh, a lot of people do remodeling, and they take one or two rooms and new coat of paint, get a different theme, or maybe decorations now for the fall. If you're looking for that one accent piece to really just finish off that beautiful space that you have. I'm sure you'll find it at the Village Bond Country Store and Antiques. They've got things from the past I haven't seen in 40 or 50 years. I don't know where they locate them, but during the week, that's all they do with the van is scour New England for all these beautiful gems. The Village Bond Country Store and Antiques for buying and selling. It's 401-568-4542. It's an 1800s barn filled with 2,800 square feet of large and small and selected antiques, country decor, furniture, prints, country signs, stitchery, pillows, quilts, beautiful quilts. And my wife's into quilts big. Uh, Swan Creek and Crossroad candles, just like Yankee, but less money. Custom farmer's tables, braided rugs, and new arrivals every day. The cellar's full, the attic's full, plus the 2,800 square feet with new arrivals. And he's a custom furniture builder, too. Kevin and uh, Kathy, what a team and what a great find at the Village Bond Country Store and Antiques. Did I let you know where it was? Take a ride in the country to 953 Victory Highway, the old 102. Three miles from Chapacha with all the antique stores up there. And it's in Mapleville, Rhode Island. 02839. Now, another accolade. The Village Bond Country Store and Antiques, four consecutive years. Number one antique store in the Call in the Times Reader's Choice Awards and the prestigious Providence Journal. Best antique store against all that competition. People know quality when they see it. And they take the time to vote on the computer instead of the paper ballots. Village Bond Country Store and Antiques. I cannot endorse it enough. They really do a good job. And what a taste Kathy has on decorating the themes of the different rooms they have there. You're going to get some ideas for uh, building your own masterpiece at your house, too, by visiting Village Bond Country Store and Antiques. It'll blow you away. It's really, really nice. Uh, we got some other things, too, here. Association of Rhode Island Authors. Uh, also, uh, you can see me, uh, Terry Turner, and a couple of other celebrities this year in the Autumn Fest Parade. I don't know what division we're going to be in. There's normally a 10-division parade. I was told this morning, you got to get up there about 8.30 before they shut the road down. But we'll be in an aqua-colored a Ford uh, Mustang convertible. And Tommy will be our uh, chauffeur on that. 
And I couldn't get driving Mr. Daisy or anything like that. So we had to go with Tommy. And uh, we will be uh, in the parade route and waving to everybody. And then we'll spend some time over at the WNRI booth to meet you one-on-one and match a face. And I've got a face for radio. You match a face with the radio voice. And uh, it should be a whole hoot. And we'll just hopefully we have some good weather. Congratulations, too, to uh, Julian and Paul Carancy, who uh, come forward this year for the Association of Rhode Island Authors. And they contacted the new board of directors up at the Big E up in Springfield. And we got our authors in the Rhode Island building this year after a little hiatus with different management up there. And everything that I saw on Facebook and emails, we had record crowds 1.6 million people, as some days 100,000 people went through the Rhode Island building. Some of our authors had the biggest selling days of their career by being at the Big E and the Rhode Island building. So thankfully, we're back on that. Uh, We're working now on our seventh anthology. That's a real big hit for our group. And uh, Martha's in charge of that again this year with independent editors to see if they make the grade. And uh, everything is going along really, really well. Uh, let's see. 10th anniversary party that we had. We had the picnic. Uh, December 3rd is our annual Christmas uh, Authors Expo. Uh, right now we have about 120 authors already pre-signed up. For December 3rd at the Crown Plaza in Warwick, a map layout will be available for all the authors. And uh, that's going to be a win-win, too. Uh, We used to be in the roads on the Patuxent, but they're having structural damage problems on the uh, rear part of the building that actually touches salt water. So it'll be a while we're going to be down at that Crown Plaza. Uh, Angela, one of our board members, is working with teachers and librarians to find youngsters interested in writing. And uh, we're also working on our Authors Academy that we're going to soon to be announced. Let's see. Poetry over in Connecticut. They just had a big one with Karen. Uh, The date on that was September 11th. That is uh, about a third year in its infancy at the Roseland Park over in beautiful Woodstock and getting great, great reviews. She's going to have another deal uh, with poetry and another combination of photography. Uh, setting up, combining, think outside the box a little bit on your demonstrations for selling your books. A lot of fears going on now, too. Uh, we had a presence at the Borough Lot Festival. Everybody did good up there. And the uh, Christmas events coming up. Uh, candlelight shopping in a lot of small uh, New England villages, too. Uh, think about uh, space for that, for selling books. Especially if you're a local author in that town. People are always looking for local work. We got 959. We would like to personally thank authors Susie Spikol, S-P-I-K-O-L. The name of the book today was The Animals Adventure Guide. Or you can meet her in person over at the uh, uh, place in, let's see, it's right in Manadnex. i got it right here. I'm sorry. I had to put that paper away. And she works at... 
I get ready to uh, close up Harris Center for Conservation and Education in beautiful Hancock, New Hampshire. You can meet her in person right there. Thank you very much for tuning in. And tomorrow, you learn the lessons of Hurricane Fiona, which devastated Puerto Rico. We have to ensure that when the next hurricane strikes, Puerto Rico is ready. The president speaking during a visit to the island yesterday. And as Florida works to recover from the devastation of Hurricane Ian, Senator Marco Rubio is warning against lawmakers, including pork barrel spending, in any storm relief package. Senator Rubio says he'll vote against a federal aid bill for his state if it includes pork spending projects unrelated to the storm. Sure, he told CNN's Dana Bash, I'll fight against it having pork in it. Rubio noted he's voted against hurricane relief bills in the past that were loaded with pork and in favor of all that were not. Florida took a pounding last week from Ian when it blew ashore as a Category 4 hurricane, leaving nearly 50 people dead. Bob Agnew reported. And the hurricane Ian death toll has now risen to at least 104. Most of the deaths in Florida, but also fatalities in the Carolinas and in Cuba, where the storm struck first before moving on to Florida. Wall Street following up on yesterday's rally with more gains this morning. Right now, the Dow is up 737 points to gain of more than 2%. The NASDAQ ahead, 334. More on these stories at townhall.com. There's a bakery in Cumberland that is so special you should visit it. It's under the Willow Bakery, 3383 Menden Road in Cumberland. Why are we special? Because all bakery delights are homemade, family recipes, and we're not a mass production bakery. And you'll find it all, including cookies, cupcakes, scones, muffins, croissants, brownies, whoopie pies, and spinach pies, and many other sweet and savory treats. Do you love coffee? We have a great cappuccino and latte made to order. Yes, we make everything here on the premises. And if you're interested in a special order, call Michelle at 425-8116. The name of the business, again, Under the Willow Bakery in Cumberland. Open daily, Tuesday through Sunday. Coming from Winsocket, we're just beyond the Cumberland Hill Fire Station on the left-hand side. We're family-owned and operated, and no long lines under the Willow Bakery. An Indonesian police chief apologizes for a deadly soccer stadium stampede. East Java police chief Nico Afinta says he was saddened by the tragedy and was sorry for shortcomings in how security was managed at the football stadium. His forces have come under heavy criticism for firing tear gas into the crowd after fans ran onto the pitch after the match. At least 125 people were killed when people rushed to leave and found many of the exit gates locked. In the capital, Jakarta, the National Police Commissioner told a press conference that the officers in the field had not followed instructions. The BBC's Rebecca Henschke. Iran's president appealing for national unity as he tries to defuse anger against the country's rulers, even as anti-government protests engulf the country. News and analysis at townhall.com. A retrial for the man charged with killing 22 elderly women in the Dallas area. Billy Chamirmir was convicted early this year of capital murder in the death of 81-year-old Luthi Harris and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Prosecutors are looking to secure a second sentence of life in prison without parole against Chamirmir in the death of 87-year-old Mary Brooks. In the years following his arrest in 2018, the charges against him grew as police across the Dallas area began re-examining the deaths of older people that had previously been considered natural.
John Scott reporting. As California's drought deepens, more rural communities are running out of water. Heavy pumping is depleting.